watching watching the USC game and then watching the Notre Dame game, kind of two notes. I remember taking a note of the USC game, very vanilla, just kind of ran a lot of their base stuff. You know, when they would tempo, they'd kind of throw some different looks at you, and that's when they would go that two back with Zachariah Branch and kind of, you yep. know, dump it out of the backfield to him. Um, and we'll kind of hit some of that stuff. Um, but, man, Notre Dame ran their stuff, and they're, you know, they're – 13, 12 personnel. And oh, then yeah. they're, you know, then their tempo went into, you know, double stack out wide and they're, you know, running super counter and split zone. <laughs> First play of and- the season, baby. Bird right, 18 premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, Soling, Blitz right, Travolta right, Pumpkin left, Alert Charlotte left. Go on. Bunch right, Zach. We'll go 15 tip scissors. Cannon to 300 jet F stick. Victory is a great play call. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of the Play Callers Club podcast. We're fired up to have you here. We are through week zero, heading into really the meat of the regular season. Week one in college football. NFL's coming soon. Uh, We're hitting cut day in the NFL, too, so... It's really starting to feel real. I think that you know football season as as we know it is is really here in 2023, and you know I think we're already excited about some of the offensive trends we're seeing in uh, just just the handful of games that we caught this weekend. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna kick it off by talking about a little bit of USC and Notre Dame, and I think I think we have some pretty good quarterbacks between these two teams. What do you think, Jake? Yeah, I think. Pretty much that's the takeaway, kind of from week zero. You're not really going to get much, kind of with the slate <laughs> that we were given. Right. Yeah, um, you know, we could do a deeper dive into into some of the action that there was, but I think you know USC and Notre Dame are really kind of the two big storylines coming out of week zero. And you know, you've got Caleb Williams coming back with USC. Kind of what you know, what are they going to add to his Heisman run from last year? You know, what kind of weapons can they add? What can they look like? you know, up front with the offensive line. And then for Notre Dame, it's, you know, kind of has always seemed like the past couple of years, they're always kind of a quarterback away. They've got a really good defense. They've got a really good run game. They've got, you know, some talented tight ends and receivers, but they just don't really have that guy that in a big game, they feel like they can put the ball in his hands and they can go win. And, you know, it's Navy uh, and it's, you know, we definitely recognize that. Um, But I think, you know, I, I kind of made note of, you know, Notre Dame's got some pretty big games this year. I think they've got Ohio State and yep. USC at home, and they've got Clemson on the road. And, you know, normally it was kind of like, you know, you really would, you know, you would see them play. You know, obviously, they play, I think they play SC and uh, I think they play SC every year, and then they play right. Clemson um, a couple years back, um, the year Trevor Lawrence got hurt. But, um, you know, for them to have those three really big games, I think if they can pull out two of them, you're looking at, you know, potential playoff team. And then now you've kind of you know, seen probably three of the top 10 teams in the country, you know, as, as far as the polls are right now. And I can probably guarantee by the end of the year, those are going to be some of the top teams you've seen. So, if, I mean, if you can go pull two, two out of those three out, you're probably looking at a playoff berth. And that's a pretty dangerous team they've got over there. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, again, it is Navy, but I I mean, I think also with what Coach Newberry has done in the past at Navy, they've had a pretty good defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think 
I think the triple is challenged right now with just the way kind of rules are like the cut rules in college football. I think that's one of the complaints that, you know, in talking with option coaches, the complaint is, you know, it's, it's almost like they outlawed the offense is kind of the feeling from those groups of coaches. But defensively, I mean, I think Navy's pretty multiple. They show, they show a lot, um, man, a lot of different looks, a lot of different fronts. That offensive line got tested. Hartman got tested. Like, I mean, he was having to make checks, you know, on the first drive, a hundred percent having, you know, having to get in and out of stuff. I mean, they're, they're showing, they're backing off. They're, you know, they, they look like they're just in a base look and then they bring seven. I oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Very multiple on defense. Well, and that's what I think maybe a common misconception for, you know, fans or fans of football that kind of would think, Hey, Notre Dame is so much more, you know, bigger physically on the offensive line than Navy is. They're just going to run them right over. But the way that some of these smaller defenses attack that is with a lot of movement and it really kind of muddies up the run game. And so it's not as simple as just we're bigger than you and we push you. Um, It's, there's a lot more nuance than that. And so I think I thought one of the big takeaways was Notre Dame sorted things out up front in the run Mm -hmm. game pretty well protection pretty well and they handled a lot of those looks again not the same kind of athletes obviously yeah. but it is a challenging complex defense to yeah. go against think, week week zero watching watching the usc game and then watching the notre dame game kind of two notes i remember taking a note of the usc game very vanilla just kind of ran a lot of their base stuff you know when they would tempo they'd kind of throw some different looks at you and that's when they would go that two back with zachariah branch and kind of you yeah. know dump it out of the backfield to him um, and we'll kind of hit some of that stuff. Um, but man, Notre Dame ran their stuff and they're, you know, they're 13, 12 personnel. And oh, then yeah. they're, you know, then their tempo went into, you know, double stack out wide and they're, you know, running super counter and split zone. <laughs> First play of the season, baby. Exactly. That's, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's wild. If you had, and, they, and, and like you said, they handled it very well up front. And I mean, that's, you can tell that their offensive coordinator is a tight ends guy because they, I mean, they will use those tight ends and those tight ends are, to me, the biggest key in their offense minus Sam Hartman. No, I, I would completely agree with that. And, so Gerard Parker, EOC at Notre Dame, has taken over for Tommy Reese. He was on the staff last year, so it was an internal promotion. And mm-hmm. you know, I think they took a lot of heat for, you know, you're Notre Dame. Why are we, in, you know, promoting internally when we can go hire a big name yep. offensive coordinator? And I think, you know, if, if you're Marcus Freeman, you're like, well, shoot, we got a good defense. We should be able to run the football. Like, let's keep a little continuity and, yeah. you know, let's – it is the same offense pretty much that they ran with yep. Tommy Reese. I, I don't, I don't see a ton of variance there. No. The biggest difference is you have a quarterback who's yeah, exactly. super you efficient. Guy, you have a guy that can, you know, do some things for you. <laughs> and, and I know Tommy Reese was like, I think pretty involved in the recruitment of Sam Hartman um, to pull him in, in through the transfer portal. Yep. And then obviously Tommy Reese gets the, the Alabama offensive coordinator job and he ends up taking I guess who the guy that ended up being the backup to Sam Hartman, uh, yep. Tyler Buckner with him to, to Alabama. But it, it's interesting, you know, Jake, as you're making points about being in 12 and 13 personnel, you know, when people asked why would Nick Saban hire Tommy Reese after maybe not like a stellar season from Notre Dame, it was like a, what an eight win season last year. 
I think when you turn the film on, you're like, yeah, what was it? Was it eight wins, nine wins? They started off, I think I saw they started off three and three, then they finished six and one, maybe, because I think they won their bowl game. So ended up up nine win season. But I think, you know, people might be like, well, I mean, not not the most impressive season on paper, but Mm -hmm. I think when you look at Tommy Reese and the offense that they they ran at Notre Dame and continue to run to Notre Dame. And what I expect to see some in Alabama is it's a little bit more like building a bully ground and pound. They're going to run duo. They're going to run counter. They're going to, they're going to run downhill and get big backs and big tight ends. And one of the comments, I know we're kind of getting away from Notre Dame right now, but like one of the comments that Nick Saban made in the off season circuit was we got a little too Bryce centric with our offense. And obviously he is incredible, but I think Nick Saban's kind of trying to get back to that. Like, let's play really good defense. Let's control the ball and not, I don't want to be in shootouts. I want to, I want to punish people. And I think Tommy Reese is like the, the guy to do that based on what you see from Notre Dame. Like they are physical. Those backs are big and they get downhill. Lots of tight ends and big body receivers. Dude, I mean, I'm telling you. They, they're physical, man. They are a physical football team. There's They've no doubt a, about it. A name, a name that'll be familiar here in Austin, Texas, Jaden Greathouse. From, oh yeah, from Westlake, dude. That guy is a true huge. freshman. That dude is huge. Had two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, he was he was dominant at Westlake, and mm-hmm. he was a receiver, but he's he's got dang near a tight end's body. Such a big body. He's huge and great body control. Good hands. I mean, he's physical. But you, they got a couple cats running around back there that are mm-hmm. some big body receivers. Man, I, love, and I think I love I love the way that he uses them too. Like he'll he'll split them out wide and he'll motion them back into the backfield yep. and have them just full head of steam just come oh, man. backside backside cut off that DN just smoking dudes and then he'll kind of bluff them and slip them into the flat. Totally, I mean, you totally. can you can see you know, the makings of, you know, they, I think they did show a, a fair amount of stuff, but just so many more things that they can continue to layer into that offense as the year goes on. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of potential and I think they played like five backs. Mm-hmm. So it's like, they've got a stable of running backs that they feel yeah. comfortable with. And man, I'm just so intrigued to see Sam Hartman operating in kind of a more pro style offense yeah. because the last several years at Wake Forest, that's been one of my favorite offenses to watch. It's so yeah. quirky with the, you know, the old, you might the be familiar with the long mesh point, the slow yeah. mesh and, you know, some of the, that stuff. But one of the things that always stood out to me in watching Sam Hartman play is that he he controls the tempo of the game. Like he doesn't really let people speed him up. And I think if there's a trait that Sam Hartman and Caleb Williams share, it's that they're both very much in control of the pace of the game. And they don't, it doesn't seem like the defense is able to speed them up or, um, you know, press them to play in faster than they want to play. They just seem really comfortable. Yeah, no, I mean, and I, I was extremely impressed with how Sam Hartman looked just like operating the offense in general, you know, going from an offense where you're, I mean, I would say I don't know if they ever go under center at Wake Forest. I mean, not I think really. I don't think. Yeah, pretty much hundred. If if not a hundred percent, they're ninety nine percent shotgun minus maybe a couple coal line plays. Right. But I mean, he looked. I mean, I mean, I think four incompletions, a couple were drops, and then I mean, he was just smooth under center. He, you know, he got the ball out on time, and I, I think what was most impressed with 
impressive about him was just how fast you could tell he was processing things. You can tell they give him a lot of good answers, but you can also tell that he's not, you know, he can, he'll get off of something real quick. Like oh, yeah. he knows, he knows, okay, that's not an option. I move on, you know, to the backside of my read or what, you know, whatever check or, and there was, I mean, there was a couple times too, where, you know, I think they had a freshman back in and they would miss protection or whatever, but he would, you know, he'd see the alert off corner. He'd hit his 10 yard out route yep, or whatever. Yep. He's, you know, he's getting hit while the ball's coming out, but because he's on time, because he's, you know, has that good footwork, he's able to still complete the pass as opposed to, you know, if he was uncomfortable, you know, that's, that is a pretty quirky offense over there at Wake Forest. Oh, and for to sure. Go, yeah. You know, to doing a lot of straight dropbacks and, you know, going from, you know, some play action under center, that's, that's a lot different footwork. And to be able to do that just in a couple months time to make that change is pretty impressive. It's very impressive. And I think, his experience in just playing a lot of football. I mean, I think they showed a graphic during the game. It's like he's played over 3,000 3, snaps, snaps or something <laughs> like something wild like that. And and I think that's just that's good for you. Like I know one of the one of the things that's come up recently in just the football world is you know with some of the struggles that Trey Lance has had. Mm-hmm. One of the things people say is like he just hasn't gotten to play that much football like back to high school and even at North Dakota state, like minimal, minimal snaps. And even in the professional level, like minimal snaps. And so I think if you're talking about a guy who could do something like Brock Purdy is doing, because Brock Purdy started what, four years at Iowa state. It's Mm -hmm. like, I think NFL evaluators, if you're just talking about operating an offense, value that vast experience. And I could totally see Sam Hartman, you know, he may not be like the franchise guy in terms of all the traits, uh, like big arm and, and all that. And then he may yeah. not wow you in that factor, but just his ability to operate an offense, if he gets with the right coordinator at the next level, I think, I think he sticks around the league for a long, long time. Yeah. That's where, that's where I think NFL <laughs> evaluations are changing so much. I think you've got guys like your, you know, your Bryce Young's and, you know, even a Trey Lance, they were thinking guys that can, kind of make an offense on it, you know, Caleb Williams, like Caleb right. Williams is yeah. kind of, you know, your dude, Patrick Mahomes guys that you kind of build your offense around. And then you've got kind of your plug and play guys where it's like, okay, we have every single thing that we need here. We've got the right. running back, the tight end, the offensive line, the receivers. We just need a guy that can get the, get guys, the ball isn't going to make stupid plays. And that's, that's your Brock Purdy and your Sam Hartman. And those, it's just, you know, if you were to take Sam Hartman and put him on the Texans next year, he's probably going to struggle a little bit <laughs> to, try yeah. to, to try to lead that team. But you go, you know, put him on the 49ers or put him in a good system, you know, just like Stetson Bennett has had a lot of success with the Rams 100%. Um, so far this yeah. preseason. Just, you know, good, solid offense, a great head coach, you know, coaching him up. And guys like that can be successful just because of the amount of reps that they've gotten throughout their career. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think it was a really good move for Sam to, I, I, I have a soft spot and I love that offense uh, at Wake, Wake Forest, Dave Clawson, Warren Ruggiero. I think they, I think they do more with less um, mm-hmm. in terms of like just about any offense in, in power five and, you know, they're consistently explosive and dynamic and they've just found a really creative way to do it. So this is not me critiquing that offense. I think it's phenomenal. And I think they've really cracked the code on some stuff, but I do think for his like 
kind of long-term development and what he would like yeah. um, in the future playing in the league, getting to play in kind of a pro style type offense like mm-hmm. Notre Dame. It's like the perfect fit for him. Yeah, it's the perfect sure. fit for Notre Dame. And this is why, you know, the transfer portal really benefits both parties in this, in this regard right here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're, you're talking about both these teams, USC and Notre Dame. I mean, you're talking about two transfer quarterbacks <laughs> that have completely, I mean, changed the landscape of college football. And completely. At the end of the day, you know, their game this year, I think they play pretty early on in the season, maybe like halfway through the season or something like that. But, I mean, that's a game that people are going to be looking at, saying this is going to affect the college football playoff down the road. Without a doubt. So that'll be, yeah. that'll be a fun one. It will. And, you know, as we – think about USC kind of transitioning over to that game against San Jose state, you know, San Jose state is, you know, they're different than Navy obviously, but I also think they presented some interesting things defensively. They moved fronts around a lot. They overloaded, they just gave them a lot of different looks. And, you know, I think it took USC like a second to kind of settle into the game a little bit offensively, but once they did, you could just see, you know, one of the things that kind of impresses me about this, team this usc team is they're they're like really specifically finding ways to get certain people the ball Mm -hmm. in advantageous spots and uh i mean i guess we all know it at this point like one of those guys was zachariah branch he is unbelievable Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's um, i mean we kind of talked about this in our group text a couple weeks ago and talking about you know having super talented guys and people to say well you know if I had that kind of talent, you know, it, it it's just super easy. But there's guys that get wasted all the time in oh, an yeah. offense because an offensive coordinator is so stubborn or just refuses to use a guy. And it's like, you know, I like what Bobby Petrino said a couple weeks ago. He's like, what's they asked him what his motto was. It's like, feed the studs. It's like, get, <laughs> get, get the really good guys, the ball 100%. in their hands. And you can tell, I mean, you can tell that that's what Lincoln's going to do with Zachariah Branch. And it's like. I'm going to keep giving this dude the ball until you take him away. And by you taking him away, it's going to take two or three eyes to him. And now, now we're playing like 10 on eight on offense. And and how great of a recruiting pitch was that for Lincoln Riley to show a true freshman, like lighten things up game one, 242 all purpose yards or something like that. (laughs) It's like, come here, uh, get the ball a lot. If you're good. And you know, I think that's the that's the scary thing about USC when you look at them is there's just so many weapons on that offense. And I think I think really like maybe injuries and turnovers are maybe the only thing that can stop them, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. They just have so much firepower. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mean, we talked about it a little bit before we came on air. It seemed like I think the offensive line in the past game took them a little while to kind of get going. I think the whole offense in the past game just kind of took on. It just everything seemed yeah. a little out of sync in the first quarter, but man, that run game still looked strong. And I think that's we talked about it when we whenever you broke down USC a couple weeks ago. It's like not a lot of people think you know run game when you think Lincoln Riley, but really, I mean, that's a staple of his offense is oh, having yeah. those you know those pulling guards and pulling tackles that, you know, can wrap around on that counter. And they're, I mean, it's just, it's terrifying when you see those dudes coming around the corner and then you've got that big old back running behind him. That's probably running like a 
four three five and you're like <laughs> and then and then finally you overload and play all of that and then it's like oh dump it off to Zachariah Branch in the flat and he's gone. Yeah, and and I think, you know, obviously they're always gonna run counter. I think they mm-hmm. were even more effective with some of their zone stuff. And again, I know it's you know not the same kind of competition level. It'll be interesting to see when they play better teams like what what are that what does that run game look like but i think they're they do such a good job of protecting the backside of their runs with mm-hmm. so many creative little things i mean i'd posted on twitter <clears throat> they ran that little arrow screen to zachariah branch but they ran the arrow screen probably six times yep so they're really you know making you defend sideline to sideline every yep. play and you know there's going to be a wrinkle off that arrow coming up <laughs> there always is yeah and so you know they're going to get to some cool stuff. And then I think the difference this year is that they have two really capable backs. Yep. I mean, Austin Jones and uh, Marshawn Lloyd, I believe, is his name. I'll have to yep. double-check that. But both of those guys can run hard. I think the the uh, the second kid is a, is a South Carolina transfer. So I think sometimes the best Lincoln Riley offenses are when they have multiple backs rolling through there and they kind of like are able to um, pound you in the run game and, and start to get into some of that 20 personnel stuff. And it was really interesting for me to see them aligning Zachariah branch in the, in the, like in the backfield in split mm-hmm. backs. And even though he's maybe not like a traditional running back, he, he freaks you out back there because he can do so much. He can, yeah, he can get out of the backfield. He can run the ball. I mean, he's just dynamic. And so I think I think he's going to be able to have that move piece that is really, really creative in this offense. Right, and they're going to be, yeah, I think they're going to be a, a, mostly a, a 10 and 20 personnel team and sprinkle in some 11. But, yeah. man, they got, they got options, that's for sure. Yeah, I always think that receiver in the backfield is just terrifying for defense. And, yes. it, and I can get where it's kind of scary for an offensive coordinator to, you know, running the ball with that kind of guy. But there's ways to protect him that, you know, you can, you know, run your little tear screen or you can, you know, run those arrow routes or run a little, you know, outside zone with him. It's, you know, you don't need to gash him up the middle, you know, running power or inside zone, you know, having him getting smoked by linebackers or safeties coming (laughs) downhill, you know, protect him, be smart with what you're doing. But then you can kind of, you know, progress into, okay, now you're having them run routes out of the backfield. And now you're having, you know, because when, when teams do start game planning for those kind of special players, it's how many different spots can I put them? Because if you sit there and line them up in the slot all day, it's like, okay, we're just going to bracket him and you're not going to give him the ball. But it's like, if I put him in the backfield, you're going to put a linebacker on him, you're in trouble. There's absolutely no chance that any linebacker in the country is going to guard Zachariah Branch. And so, I mean, that's like thinking that anybody in the NFL is going to guard Jamar Chase coming out of the backfield. It's just, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And so it's, it's how many different places can you put him in? And I think that's kind of the identity that you're already going to, you're already seeing with Lincoln this year is I'm going to put that dude all over the, all over the field. He's going to be my chess piece. And what's your response going to be to where I put him? And then we're going to kind of react off of that. Yeah. And if they can get, production out of the tight end position as well i know they have the freshman deuce robinson they're really mm-hmm. high on and you know some of those really great lincoln riley offenses have a lot of production out of the tight end position as well so you got to imagine as as everybody kind of settles into their role with this year's team it's they they have a lot to work with for sure and 
I wonder too, like they they did a lot with Caleb, not obviously not him running the football, but really getting him out of the pocket, running those arrow screens, running kind of bootish type stuff. And he just looks like he's playing the game at a totally different speed than yeah, everybody else. Not, and not like so he's so much faster than everybody else. Under control. He's so under control. Like he is not stressed at all. I mean, the dude and, freaking uh, bobbled the ball <laughs> 10 yards in the back. <laughs> it, it does kind of, it I mean, 60 yards downfield for a touchdown. I, <laughs> And I know it's cliche to say it, but like it does just remind you of Pat Mahomes, where he's mm-hmm. just totally in control of himself and the whole field. Yeah. And I think having an arm that can do the things that Caleb Williams' arm can do gives you that confidence for sure. But it's more it's it's way more than just arm talent. It's confidence, yeah. it's processing ability, yeah, and it's an, an elite athleticism that just allows you to for sure kind of tempo up and down and, yeah. and be, always be okay. You can, you can always tell the difference between a quarterback that's just like comfortable with their body and the way they move and the difference between a quarterback that's comfortable with like their mind and their body. And there's yes, like, they, yes, yes, yes. they know, you know, they know where the ball is supposed to be going. They know, okay, maybe I can hang on this one a little bit longer or, Hey, I got to get off of this and I got to move on to the next. And then it's like, then when everything breaks down, I'm just so much better and more athletic than you. <laughs> You're oh, yeah. still not yeah. going to be able to stop me. Yeah, and I think he's he's he is processing at a really high level. To you know, I I forget if it was the second or it might have been the third quarter, maybe when San Jose State had to start getting out of the too high stuff and getting yep. into more of like a cover three look, and he just started like ripping seam balls on four oh, yeah. and like, mm-hmm. you're just like, Oh, okay. Like yeah. you just can't. Yeah. The amount can't... of times they just called seams was <laughs> hilarious. Just... Well, and I, I liked it too, because there's some variety too. I mean, just in what I observed watching the game, like there was a, there was one rep where it was, you know, it's four verts ish. It's mm-hmm. they call, you know, I know coaches that call it a torque route on the outside, take off or come back. Yep. And then in the slot, you kind of have your seam read where you can run route, the bender yeah. or, or sit it down, you know, different things like that. And so they basically ran mirrored torques and seam reads. And I think it was actually Branch. It was, I think it was Zachariah Branch who actually found kind of the hole behind the linebacker and ran like a little bender, and they, he ripped that seam ball in there. And it was just like, wow, if you have a freshman receiver who can process and a quarterback who can process, you can, you can like live in, in some of these base pass concepts. and. Yeah. Everybody just sight adjusts to it, and someone's almost always open, and that's terrifying for a defense. And I, I loved what they did out of empty too. And I think they did. Yeah, he looked just watching him over the past two years. He looked a lot more comfortable in empty. This, I mean, once again, take it with a grain of salt who you're going against. But I mean, once again, when you're playing an opponent like this, they're going to throw some crazy looks at you, especially when you get an empty because oh, yeah. they don't, you know, that that. That's kind of terrifying when you've got five wide USC skill players coming at you. Man, what do you and do? So you know they were throwing some zero at him. They were you know kind of dropping dropping eight or whatever. But he just he was so quick with his decision making. It was like you know if they're playing soft, I'm just going to take what they give me. If they you know if they give me a window, I'm going to take it. And it was just you know the difference between this year and the past couple of years, what was kind of like, Oh, hesitate and then try to take off and run. And, you know, he would still get away with it because of how athletic he was. But 
It's just now it's like, man, there was a, I think one of their first touchdowns, they just, you know, ran a little spot with number three and ran a little yep. big post right behind it. Nothing super crazy. I mean, you're basically just reading the Mike linebacker. And if he, if he drives on it, you're just trying to beat the safety, but man, how quick he got that ball out, you know, driving it right behind that Mike linebacker and, you know, against a better team. Yeah. That safety will be coming downhill, but I don't, by the time he cut the ball in that number two receiver's hands, I don't think anybody's going to stop that. No. And the, I, I remember the exact, you know, clip you're talking about with that first touchdown out of empty motion in the back out. And he worked the three receiver side on that play. And he came back later, maybe in the third quarter and they got an empty and he worked the two receiver side of empty, same high, low concept, right? Like a little, you know, snag route from number two, number one on the, the kind of dig behind it. And he rips the dig in there and you're like, Oh man, like he's, he's basically taking, you know, again, this is kind of coach speak a little bit, but like, when you get an empty, a lot of times you're giving a quarterback a split field read, which means yep. if he gets a certain coverage, he's going to look at their three receiver side. If he gets in different coverage, he's going to look at the two receiver side. You may have a, a man beater to one side, a zone beater to the other. It's kind of, yep. you can kind of pick your, pick your poison dealer's choice. And to see Caleb Williams, like so confidently make those decisions yep. and say, yeah, I like, I like the three receiver side here. Bang touchdown. Uh, I like the two receiver side here. Bang like 15 yard gain and you're like whew, that's that isn't like elite level quarterbacking when you can operate like that out of empty and you're not just it's not quick game it's not catch and throw it's like progressing and uh he makes it, it look just like impressive. Quick game with how fast the ball comes that's out, the thing but. that's the thing i i'm just i'm just so impressed by his processing ability yeah. really and uh well, and you i mean to go back to whenever you broke down ufc your you know your big thing was Caleb Williams was having to play hero ball last year. And is that going to be the case again this year or is it not? And it, I mean, to me it's, there was, I mean, minus the, the fumble where he just heaved up the touchdown. I mean, there wasn't a lot of hero ball going not, on. Not really you know, at all. Was, and even, and even some of those early drives where he did take sacks, it was like, he wasn't forcing the ball and, you know, cause that game could really got it. I mean, not out of hand, but could get a little dice. Could have gotten funky. Seven yeah. in the first quarter and you, you know, you fumble or you throw a pick and, you know, they're getting the ball in your territory and all of a sudden you're down 14-7 week zero and you're like, right. this isn't looking so good. But he, you know, he took a couple sacks. He threw the ball away a couple times and it was like, it's all right. We'll figure it out. We'll move on. And then all of a sudden, once, once they got rolling, you couldn't stop them. No. Yeah. I mean, and and I think that's that's the thing that I really hope kind of comes out in the draft process when we when everybody's looking at Caleb Williams and breaking him down, like let's not fall in love with his arm strength and his arm angles and his athletic ability. Like let's fall in love with the way he sees the game and processes and makes quick decisions and makes the right decisions and has the arm talent to execute on those decisions, obviously. But it, it goes back to even some of the stuff we've talked about with the chiefs and Pat Mahomes. It's like he this, the next step that he's taking in his maturation as a quarterback is that he's not forcing stuff. He's not yep. having to extend every play. He's on time with stuff, and it just makes life so much easier to to the point where there's there's games where he's just sitting back there and dealing, and they just run away with it, and he doesn't have to do um, superhero type stuff. And that's if you're a coach, like that's what you want, right? You want you know he has the ability to take over a game, but you don't want to put him in a position where he has to do that every every time out. So if you had to pick right now that game 
I can't tell you the exact date that it is, but USC, Notre Dame, when they play in South Bend in a couple weeks, who you got? I mean, I still think USC is going to win the game, but I think that Notre Dame is going to make it a, they're going to make it a like just a super physical affair. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to make it, they're going to hold the football. They're going to possess the football. They're going to run downhill at USC's defense. And I think the the way that Notre Dame wins it is time of possession, controlling the clock, and keeping Caleb Williams off the field. But I just I don't know if there's a defense that is going to consistently stop USC offensively, especially once they get rolling and kind of figure out their identity more so. I just I don't see anybody being able to stop them. And like I said, I think it's going to really have to be like an injury or turnovers. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like Caleb Williams is as reckless. Not again, I'm not calling him reckless, but like he's not as brash with the ball sure. maybe in ways that he has been in years past. And so I just don't I don't really think those turnovers are going to happen. And so yeah, I don't I I still think USC is more explosive, but I think there's a chance that Notre Dame can really control the football and yeah. that's that's how they win the game. That that's really how they have to win the game in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think what scares me about USC is definitely the defense and it's I don't know who USC has kind of, you know kind of leading up in those weeks up to Notre Dame and how many um Pac-12 games they'll play but I mean the Pac-12 is deep on offense and I just worry yeah. about how many shootouts USC is going to get into and how many times you know, it's like, how many times can we, you know, just absolutely outscore people? And I think the difference between, I mean, I think USC obviously offensively can beat you in multiple ways, but as a team, I think they're just going to beat you by outscoring you. As to where I think Notre Dame, like you said, I think Notre Dame can win games in multiple ways. And I, yeah, think I agree. I agree. Sam Hartman changes that. I don't think, I think before it was just, we're just going to, you know, overpower you and we're going to beat you with good defense. But I th- I think they can win a shootout now. I think if that game does come down to a shootout with them and USC, I, th- I mean, I don't think USC's defense is very good. So, I, I mean, I just think Notre Dame's got the firepower to where, you know, they can – I think it'll be a high-scoring back-and-forth game. I think Notre Dame's got a ton of talent on defense. But like you said, I mean, I don't I don't think there's really anybody that can stop that USC offense except for themselves. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a good one, but I would it's going to be a fun to be game to watch. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a fun game to watch, and I'm not quite ready to throw in the towel on USC's defense. Mm-hmm. I think they're a lot better from a personnel perspective, for sure. And I think they had some some busts for sure. And again, I'm not like yeah, they had one over, before halftime. Yeah, I'm not trying to overly defend what they're doing defensively, but. Here's the thing too that's that's tough to explain to like kind of the, the average fan is like in every level of football you have some sort of scrimmage or preseason game except college football. Yep. Like the first time you play is the first time you play a game. Like it there's no dress rehearsals like yeah okay you're playing an inter squad scrimmage or whatever but that's not the same. I'm sorry. Like you you can do the you can do your best to it, you know, kind of imitate that, but it, you just can't, you can't. And so I think these first games, especially week zero are super sloppy. And I, I don't necessarily, like, I think 
I think last year USC was like pretty thin on defense and like pretty thin in multiple ways. Like they weren't, they didn't have a lot of uh, kind of beef on that defense. So I think they did wear down over the course of games. And I think they addressed some of those issues. And I think, I think if they clean some things up, they're going to be okay. Like, sure. I'm not panicking on the defense yet, but I know kind of everybody else is right now, I guess. But yeah. I, I kind of chalk it up to week zero sloppiness, and I think they're going to be okay. Um, but it'll be interesting to see for sure. Um, yeah. I, I think right now Notre Dame looked a lot more dominant defensively. Complete. And I think more of a complete team. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, the thing with USC too is just – Man, it's going to be a gauntlet in the Pac-12 this year. It's just you're there's just a lot of good football teams. So and so many good quarterbacks. So it's you know you if they're going to figure it out, they better figure it out fast defensively because I mean they're going to see some guys that can sling it all over the yard on them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think too, like when I when I think back to USC last year, Lincoln Riley's first year, in some ways they maybe exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a program like Utah or Oregon, pretty well-established teams, right, that have been good consistently. And there was a like a stripping down of the roster. And, you know, they brought a bunch of people in. And it's really hard to get a team like that to gel and mesh right off the bat. And I think year two is going to be a much different story for USC. I really think they're going to – I think they're going to be – a lot more efficient offensively. And I think they will get better defensively, but I agree with you. I think the PAC 12, it's a shame that the sky had to fall this year because this might be one of the best conference years. The PAC 12 has had since like chip Kelly was in the league for sure. Yeah. So it's Um, it's too bad. I mean, there's, I'm, I don't know if USC and Utah play this year, but I mean, Utah is definitely one that, you know, won the league last year and has definitely been a problem for USC and really everybody the past couple of years. So I guess how do we'll you think of, they match up with Florida coming was, to town? I was about to move on to <laughs> coming uh, to Utah. We'll we'll kind of move on to week one here. Let's do it. First real big game of the year, um, Florida and Utah. I think. I mean, one looking for some revenge for Florida last year. You know, Florida kind of squeaked that one out. Two, it's, you know, at Utah. So that's, I mean, tough place to play. Ooh, very tough place and to play. I just think with Cameron Rising coming back, I, I mean, there's just so much. I don't I don't know too much about the rest of their roster, what exactly they've got. But when you're bringing back a quarterback with that much experience, when you're, you know, coming off kind of that bad taste in your mouth. I mean, because I, mean, I can't remember exactly what the record was last year, but I'm assuming they would have – two losses and yeah, I'm assuming they would have had two losses for them to not kind of be in the um, talk for the college football playoff last year. But you take away that Florida loss last year, you're looking at a one loss pac 12 champion, right? That's beat USC twice. I mean, I mean, you're talking about a different story. Um, So I think they've got playoff aspirations this year and they're going to be, you know, looking to go get it in the last year in the Pac-12. And not to say that Florida doesn't have some dudes. I just think there's a lot of question marks. You know, got a new quarterback. Uh, I think Graham Mertz is going to be the guy. I think they announced him as a starter over there. Yes, they did. Um, So, you know, second year of the coaching staff. So should be, 
you know, a little more familiar familiarity there um, as far as what they're doing on offense and defense. But I don't know. It's going to be a tough place to travel to on a Thursday night. I think it's going to be pretty rowdy over there. Oh, my goodness, yeah. It, it just always seems like people have trouble, and I think it's called Rice-Eccles Stadium. Um, and Kyle Whittingham, I think, like, is I think we've talked about this in the past. Maybe um, I feel like there's no team that personifies their coach more than mm-hmm. Utah and Kyle Whittingham. Yeah. It's like he is, he is grit and determination, and that team just like yeah. is totally that. And it's interesting too. Like I know you mentioned Cam Rising, and and there maybe have been some talk about him maybe being a little banged up. Um, I don't know if I'm missing something on that, but I think he was. I think there was some discussion of maybe him being a little bit banged okay. up along with the tight end, um, Brant Keithy. So Brant Keithy is a Texas native. I think he's from Katy. And I know Dalton Kincaid got drafted in the first round this year by the Bills, but like when you actually go back and watch the film of the past few years of Utah football, Brant Keithy's the tight end that's really getting the most footballs thrown his way, even though Dalton yeah. Kincaid maybe had the higher ceiling from um the professional standpoint, but Brand Keithy's a really good tight end number. I, I think he's number 80 for them. He does a really good job, just consistently wins routes um, in, in kind of in the interior. And they got a stable of running backs. They got another Texas kid from Dallas from, I believe Duncanville, former Duncanville quarterback, Jaquindon Jackson. I think I'm getting that right. Oh, Big, yeah. like 230 yeah, pounds. Yeah. He went to Texas out of high school. Yeah. And he just, He's a sledgehammer in the backfield, and they've got a couple other backs. Bernard, I would think, is another one, and I'm like, it's a pretty good roster, and they play really good defense. And but I yeah, also they're built think, like an SEC team. They really are. They kind of are built like an SEC team. But I also yeah. think like Billy Napier is going to get that thing turned around. Yeah, like he, I think he's, I think they're going to play a different brand of football at Florida this year for sure. Yeah, I mean, and I could see it being one of those things where they maybe drop this game, but, you know, they turn it around. I mean, the East is pretty wide open this year. I mean, it is. You obviously have Georgia, but there's some question marks at Georgia. And then you've got Tennessee, who's, you know, lose Hendon Hooker. Obviously, Joe Milton, there's a lot of hype around him, but you just never know. So, I mean, it could be a year that, you know, Florida kind of, you know, is up at the top of the SEC East. You never know, but. Yeah, I, I could I could see that. Um you know, I think I think the Graham Mertz thing is interesting, right? It's like mm-hmm. obviously you see all those struggles at Wisconsin, but you know, was he maybe just not a good fit for the offense or yeah. it's hard to say. Like you know, he was highly highly touted and they, there seems to be some really positive things coming out of Florida about Graham Mertz, yeah. obviously I'm winning the job and all that, but it'll be interesting to see, like, can he have a little bit of a renaissance in Florida after a couple tough years at Wisconsin? Yeah, for sure. Well, then Saturday night we got North Carolina, South Carolina. I think that's the college game day game this week. Pretty, pretty solid quarterback matchup there. Oh, you got Drake May, definitely. Spencer Rattler. That'll be an exciting one to watch. Do you think, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about Drake May being a top draft pick as well, like maybe even challenging Caleb Williams. Do you think uh, North Carolina has enough around him to compete with an SEC team, or do you think it's going to be tough sledding for, for the Tar Heels? I think they've got enough to compete with 
you know, South Carolina. I think they, I would say they're pretty comparable as far as, you know, talent goes. Um, but I mean, even looking at the ACC, you know, having to deal with teams like Florida State and Clemson, I mean, I think they're definitely going to be behind those schools. Um, and, you know, it, I, I think South Carolina is an interesting one. Just they, they kind of rode that high um, off the end of the year last year, um, beating Tennessee, beating Clemson. And so it's like, and, you know, Spencer Rattler played amazing in both of those games. Right. Pretty positive they won their bowl game too. I can't remember. Um, or maybe they didn't. I don't know. But it's, it's just, it's kind of like, was that, you know, is that what we're going to continue to see from Spencer Rattler this year? Or was that just kind of like a flash of, you know, his potential and it's going to kind of go back to what he was, um, you know, late in his OU career early in the year last year? Yeah, I think I'm fascinated to see with Drake May, what is that offense going to look like post mm-hmm. Phil Longo? Yep. Uh, Phil Longo, you know, he's he's air raid. Uh, I guess air raid adjacent, if you want to call it that. Like yeah. he would probably claim the air raid. Uh, but I think the 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 main point of Phil Longo's offense was that he gave both quarterbacks and receivers a lot of freedom to make plays and find space. Yeah. And I think Drake May really thrived in that because he's a great athlete. He's got a great arm. He's got great vision. His brothers, I think played basketball at North Carolina, like very athletic family. Um, and so you're transitioning from Phil Longo's offense with a you know a ton of freedom to Chip Lindsey, who has been coaching with Gus Malzahn for, for years and years. And, you know, was the head coach at Troy, I think for a little bit. And it'll just be interesting to see, is that offense going to be more like what Phil was doing and do they keep some of those concepts yeah. or is it maybe a little different, maybe spread pro styley? or I know, you know, Gus has always done the QB run game stuff. Like I don't expect a ton of that. Yeah, with Drake so, May, but... I, I wonder, I wonder how much they're going to use his legs. Cause I mean, he's, he's an athletic dude. He's, he's a he's... very good athlete, but I mean, from... is that, is that the plan? Is the plan exactly. to run Drake? Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a little scary to be calling <laughs> yeah. design run plays for him. So it, I'm just I'm fascinated. Again, it's not a knock on anyone. It's just kind of thinking through what does it look like for a quarterback to transition offensive systems yeah. after having a lot of success and a lot of hype. That that's a tough transition because yeah. even if they run some of the same concepts, the way it's taught and articulated is totally different. That's just the way football is, and I, I'm interested to see if Drake May is able to kind of replicate some of the success they had last year, or if there's going to be some, some challenges to overcome yeah. without, without Phil calling plays anymore. Well, like you said, um, you know, week one, that's what's so fascinating about week zero week one is in college football, you don't get a scrimmage and it's like, right. you know, you see a lot of teams, they get that cupcake game where, you know, if you've got a new quarterback or you've got a new coordinator or some new guys, it's like, okay, you can kind of get some kinks out in that Ease game. It in. Yep. But it's like North Carolina, South Carolina first game. It's that's where I think the advantage goes to South Carolina a little bit, having, you know, a little bit more, you know, continuity from, from last year. Well, and they, they're replacing a coordinator as well, but 
I almost again, it's just not as big of a change exactly. from mm-hmm. Phil Longo. I think it's just hard to replicate some of the stuff Phil was doing. And yeah, I want to say maybe Marcus Satterfield was the OC at South Carolina last year, and I believe he's in Nebraska now. And they brought in um, a guy from Arkansas, maybe Dowell Loggins. Like, yeah, he was the tight ends coach at Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was pretty. He was a pretty hot commodity in the offseason. He kind of was, yeah. And, and I know he's been in the NFL. I think he maybe called plays for the Jets for a little bit or some, yeah. it was something like that. But it'll be interesting to see, like, is he going to do more kind of the pro-style stuff that Satterfield did a little bit at South Carolina, or are we going to see more spread stuff and kind of letting Spencer Rattler yeah. go to work? Or It'll be interesting to see. I mean, yeah. You know, you're I think you're not style really worked for Spencer Rattler at the end of the year last year. I think it just it kind of think, kind of simplified things for him a little bit. Yeah, I think that might be his mo is to be kind of more a pro style pocket passer and which is like not really what you think of when you think of him. You would think right. he would be more kind of like your dual threat, let him kind of make plays in space. But he just he looked so much more comfortable in the pocket. I think last so. Year, towards the end of the year last year, I think so. I think he. I think him being an under center pro style quarterback actually makes a ton of sense. Ironically, yeah, it does. <laughs> not not what you think coming out of you know Scottsdale or Phoenix no. or wherever he came from, and you know playing for Lincoln Riley, but I think maybe that makes the most sense for him and probably helps him project to the next level as well, better than, you know, trying to do the spread thing somewhere else. Yeah. All right. Last one Sunday night. We're, we're kind of running low on time here, but we got LSU, Florida state, the big one. Oof. Oh my goodness. Um, that's a great matchup. Yeah. And I think Florida State kind of, kind of caught them before the engine turned on last year. Mm-hmm. And I think LSU might be a machine this year. Yeah, I don't know. They're both. I mean, they're. I think anybody in the country you ask, that's that's two teams that it's like, all right, you better watch out for them this year. <laughs> they, I mean, they got two dudes running the show at quarterback that you know, pretty dangerous. Yeah, I think Florida State is really fun on offense. Yeah. The quarterback run game stuff is awesome. I think we've talked in the past about Alex Atkins, and we're huge fans of his, all the gap scheme stuff, all the GT counter. He does a tremendous job coaching the offensive line and calling plays, and I'm sure it's, you know, Norvell is involved as well um, pretty, pretty significantly, but... Jordan Travis is fun. The receivers are good. The running backs are amazing. Um, very good offense. But I mean, LSU was so young last year. Like yeah. some of their best players were true freshmen. Mm-hmm. And you know, transfer quarterback that kind of figured things out. And you know, they got some good receivers and some dynamic playmakers on the edge. They're always going to have physical running backs. And I really like the tight end. I think they're good off and good on the offensive line, and I think their defense is going to be really good as well. I mean, it's I just it it would it would be hard for honestly it'd be hard for me to imagine LSU losing to many teams other than maybe like a Georgia. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's going to be really big. How big of a step um, Jane Daniels can take in more of the downfield passing game? Yes, I think yeah. he was. 
very strong in the read option, RPO style um, throws last year. But it's like, you know, I remember when they played A&M at the end of the year last year, he was a little bit banged up. And so it pretty much took away all of his running ability and almost took away their entire offense because A&M just made them one-dimensional and tried to make them throw the ball down the field and they couldn't really do it. Right. So, you know, if, a if, I mean, in Florida state's going to have an athletic defense, they're going to be able to have answers to the quarterback run game. So are you going to be able to push the ball down the field a little bit? I think that's going to be really the difference in success of, you know, LSU winning nine, eight, nine games or 11, 12 games and, you know, looking at an SEC championship and a playoff berth. Yeah, and I, I actually think Jaden Daniels is a pretty, pretty decent passer, and I think he's gotten more polished yeah, as, for as sure. time has gone on, and maybe kind of underrated and overlooked in the kind mm-hmm. of the greater landscape. I don't think he gets the kind of hype that even other quarterbacks that haven't played in the SEC. You know, and I think yeah. of like a Joe Milton. It's like we're talking about Joe Milton a lot more than we're talking about Jaden Daniels, and I sure. don't know if that's totally fair uh, and you know for all the jokes that you can make about brian kelly he's a really good football coach and always has his teams prepared and i think i think he kind of came to the realization in notre dame that he didn't think that they could get over the hump and that's why he's at lsu right now and i think he's got a team that can really challenge for a spot in the sec championship game yeah. and so. I think this is a really important early season test for them. But I I think Florida State, you could definitely argue, should be competing for an ACC championship, if not the favorites to exactly. be the SEC champions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think them um, and Clemson are pretty much. Yeah, I mean, Clemson has. On that one. Yeah, that, that's going to be a, a showdown for sure. And so I, I, that, I think that's probably. There, there's a good group of games. I, I really like the Utah Florida game, and I really like this. Florida State LSU game and uh it'll definitely I'm excited to see what these what kind of wrinkles these peop, these teams throw at each other offensively yeah. um because they both have pretty solid defenses and I think you're going to you're going to see a creative wrinkle kind of break the game open one way or the other whether it's Florida State doing something interesting offensively or LSU maybe throwing a trick play or doing something yeah. uh, to bust the game open I think it's going to be it's going to be something creative offensively that is kind of the difference in this game. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be fun moving forward. Kind of, we're finally here. Finally got some, you know, final. real matchups. Um, you know, we can start really talking some real X's and O's, um, doing a little bit more of a deep dive rather than just kind of our generic talk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. For the past couple of weeks and really talking about how, how, these offenses are attacking these defenses and, you know, the looks that they're getting and how they're using, you know, the playmakers, playmakers that they have um, to win ball games. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. And at the end of the day, I feel like I've said this a million times, but the job of a coach is to find ways to get your athletes in positions to be successful. And Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of the that's the the challenge, right? Is that's the creative challenge each and every week is how can I use my um use all that I've studied in the off season to put these guys in the best position to succeed. And yep. so that's kind of the art of coaching. And uh I'm really excited to see how that takes shape over the course of the year because every year is there's something surprising or 
something special, cool storyline of ways that that's happening and um, really letting guys shine. So it's going to be, it's going to be a fun season. I can't wait to, can't wait to highlight it all. Yeah. We'll definitely be on the couch watching some games this weekend, enjoying, enjoying Labor Day. And hopefully we can get a, get some good, I know we got to be careful with our college film, but maybe get some good film breakdown or something. We'll we'll definitely do it soon for sure. For sure. Well, we appreciate you guys as always. Victory is a great play call.